Some super generous listeners have used the Buy Me a Coffee link in the show's notes to send me some virtual Java, which is always appreciated. Big thanks to my dude Mike from Chicago's own Tours with Mike, Katie D. Oliveira, Robert Cordero, Nick Pinkowski, and a few anonymous senders. I really, really appreciate all your generosity. I spent a lot of time while out and about looking up towards the tops of old buildings. You can learn much from doing so, from the year a structure was built, to the name of the builder, and even what used to occupy those spaces many years ago. This week I thought I'd take a few minutes to discuss some of the repurposed buildings of Chicago. I'm Tommy Henry and this is the Chicago History Podcast. There are way too many repurposed buildings around Chicago to discuss in just one episode, so this one will focus primarily on buildings on the north side, but I'll be sure to circle back in future episodes to cover others. If you have any repurposed buildings to suggest, head to the chicagohistorypod.com webpage and click on the microphone in the lower right corner to leave me a voice message. If I use your idea, I'll be sure to credit you on the follow-up episode. Also, there are a ton of buildings that used to be restaurants that are now different restaurants. Department stores that used to be other department stores. Hotels that used to be different hotels. You get the idea. These are not the buildings I'm talking about. I'm talking about buildings that made a full-on change to something else. I've actually covered this topic as part of other episodes. In episode 308, I discussed Chicago's Fresh Air Sanitarium for sick babies at Fullerton and Lakeshore Drive, which went through a few changes over the years before settling into its current incarnation as Theater on the Lake, a restaurant and event venue. In episode 320, we looked at the history of the old post office, which has been transformed into a mixed-use facility after sitting vacant for two decades, thanks to an $800 million renovation. The Chicago Architecture Center offers some great tours of that old building, which admittedly doesn't look old at all. Even Navy Pier, covered in episode 425, had a number of lives before becoming one of the top tourist attractions in Illinois, from a World War II training center to a branch of the University of Illinois to, well, sitting vacant and decaying for many years before getting a shiny Ferris wheel. If you're in Wicker Park, head west on North Avenue from the Six Corners intersection of Damon, Milwaukee, and North, you'll find a three-story building at 2039 West North Avenue that has its origins right at the top in bluish letters, Turkish Russian North Avenue Baths. Built in 1922, the building, featuring detailed aquatic-themed terracotta designs, originally served the neighborhood's immigrant families who did not have proper baths in their own homes. It gradually became a place for those looking to unwind and socialize with a beer while enjoying a steam bath. It was also a place for politicians, sports figures, and other notables to have a getaway and not worry about ending up in gossip columns. By the 1970s, the Luxor Baths maintained its old-world atmosphere while catering to a younger crowd, while still having appeal to the middle-aged and senior crowd. 
When owner Irving Rosenberg, who purchased the Luxor Baths in 1954, sold the operation in 1980, it reportedly began to lose its charm. The neighborhood, as it often happens, was changing rapidly. The Luxor closed, and by the early 1990s, the building was boarded up. When the neighborhood started to become trendy once again, some enterprising investors saw potential in the old building, and after much renovation, it became a series of upscale dining establishments. If you're now craving an opportunity to enjoy a spa in a classic old building, there is a Russian bath at 1916 West Division that opened in 1906 that, as of this writing, still operates as a spa. There are plenty of former firehouses around Chicago that have been repurposed into homes, restaurants, offices, and retail spaces. One of Chicago's oldest firehouses was in the Old Town neighborhood at 1244 North Wells. Built in 1874, it was home to Engine Company 27. In 1960, the firehouse on North Wells Street became a civil defense station on call 24 hours a day, ready to respond to major disasters around the city. By 1978, the building was abandoned. The old firehouse was eventually converted for use as a retail store. If you're on Well Street, you can still make out the outline of the firehouse, and I will have before and after pictures on the Chicago History Podcast social media pages in the next few days. As Chicago quickly developed into one of the biggest beer cities in America over the past 15 years, the brewers needed space for their equipment and, in many cases, a tap room to welcome guests eager to slake their thirst. And yes, I've been looking for an opportunity to use the phrase slake their thirst in an episode. In the old Irving neighborhood of Chicago's northwest side is the Eris Brewery and Cider House, a gorgeous structure with a great food and drink menu. The building Eris occupies was built in 1911 as a Masonic temple. Here is how the building was announced in papers back in 1910. One of the most attractive buildings to be erected in the outlying districts is the new Masonic Temple, which the Myrtle Masonic Temple Association is about to construct in Irving Park. It will be at Irving Park Boulevard and North 42nd Court, will be five stories high, of vitrified brick with dull enameled terracotta, and will have a ground area of 58 by 110 feet. Hartsfeld and Knox prepared the plans. A large auditorium with dressing rooms, ladies' parlors, men's smoking rooms, etc. will be on the first floor. The second floor will be occupied by the main lodge hall, 51 by 60 feet, and the parlors' smoking rooms, refreshment rooms in connections with this lodge floor have been arranged for the combined uses of all the Masonic bodies located in Irving Park. The upper floor will contain another lodge hall with necessary conveniences for the accommodation of other societies. The cornerstone will be laid about July 15th, and it is expected to dedicate the building about October 15 next. Uh, in case you're wondering, Irving Park Boulevard was renamed Irving Park Road, and honestly, I didn't realize Trip Avenue was once called North 42nd Court. Of course, I wonder if any of you are old and stubborn enough to still refuse to call it Trip Avenue. 
I kid. The Masons occupied the building until 1981 when it was sold to the Korean Bethel Presbyterian Church. The church appears to have vacated the building sometime around 2007, and the building sat disused for many years. Eris took over the building in 2014 and spent the following four years renovating it. In 2019, Landmarks Illinois granted Eris its 2019 Richard H. Dryhouse Foundation Award for Adaptive Use. The annual awards recognize the exceptional efforts of people who preserve important and historic places in their communities. Landmarks Illinois officials said of the Eris project, quote, Years of subsequent renovations masked the beauty of the original structure. The project team was focused on sustainability and energy efficiency, and many strategies were implemented to reduce environmental impact, as well as serve as a memory of what came before, end quote. The foundation officials went on to say the extensive restoration project, quote, celebrates many of the building's original features, like hand-riveted steel beams, brick walls, and light fixtures, end quote. In the Westtown neighborhood at 1746 West Chicago Avenue is Forbidden Root, which bills itself as Chicago's first botanic brewery. The building where Forbidden Root is based started its life in Chicago back in 1913 as the Hub Theater, a movie house showing the films of the day. In the late 1960s, as the neighborhood began to change and the movie-going public's taste did as well, the hub began showing adult fare. One ad I found from December 1970 promoted San Francisco Cowboy and Love Cult. Pretty sure I haven't seen either of those. By the mid-70s, the hub was showing Spanish-language films, even changing its name to Teatro Latino, briefly before closing in the mid-80s. But... Things weren't over for The Hub as a movie house. From a 1995 Chicago Reader article from writer Grant Pick. In 1989, Kenilworth lawyer Barbara Salmerin happened upon the closed 70-year-old Hub Theater located on Chicago Avenue in West Town. Quote, I was driving by with my daughter who'd been a candy girl at the Bryn Mawr and her boyfriend and I thought, wouldn't running that be fun? She recalled. With help from her daughters and their significant others, Salmarin, who had no theater experience, reopened the 600-seat house as a second-run venue. She served a menu of action adventures, horror flicks, comedies, plus Chinese movies on Monday. And she was friendly with local toughs, blunting potential gang problems. The hub had no air conditioning, so customers sweltered in summer. But enough people came that Salmarin realized a small profit for three years. Unfortunately, managing a one-screen, second-run theater became more difficult as multiplexes began to hold films longer. The hub closed permanently in June of 1994. The building then became storage for many years before Forbidden Root repurposed it in impressive fashion. By the way, as you enter Forbidden Root, look down. The tile floor still bears the name of the hub. Just south of Belmont on Rockwell Street in Chicago's Avondale neighborhood is a large building that rubs up against the west side of the Chicago River. Inside is Metropolitan Brewing. The building also houses a gallery, a dance studio, a coffee roaster, and I'm sure a handful of others that I've yet to discover. 
This building's history goes back to the late 1800s when a company called JM&V Weill Tannery operated there. Most of what I found on the tannery was in old Polish newspapers, and as my ability to read Polish is limited, that made it kind of tough. By the mid-1930s, another tannery, the Greenbaum Tannery Company, made 3057 North Rockwell its home. The Rockwell Street address housed various factories, including a blacksmith, pipe fitters, and more, before becoming storage for many years, eventually falling into disuse. Metropolitan Brewing began operations in 2008 in a warehouse in Chicago's Ravenswood neighborhood, eventually realizing they needed more space as well as a tap room. The space they moved to at 3057 North Rockwell features a U-shaped bar surrounded by tables built from wood salvaged from the tannery. The floor-to-ceiling windows look east out onto the outdoor patio, a fine place to enjoy a beer and try to imagine the building's days as a tannery. At least, that's what I do. I could probably talk about the loss of movie theaters for hours, as Chicago has lost many over the years. Once a huge movie theater town in the first half of the 1900s, once TVs and air conditioning became more common in households in the 1950s, theaters lost their appeal, causing many to close. While things stabilized somewhat over the next 30-plus years, the introduction of cable and VCRs in the 1980s and 1990s caused even more theaters to close. Two theaters in Lincoln Park, located across the street from each other, both had a long run which ended for each within two years of the other. The Biograph Theater opened in September of 1914 as a 942-seat single-screen cinema. In July of 1934, the Biograph was in the news as the venue where Public Enemy No. 1 John Dillinger was shot and killed after attending a screening of Manhattan Melodrama starring Clark Gable. The historic Biograph Theater continued to show movies until 2001 when it closed. The theater reopened in 2002 under the Village Theater's chain, but that effort only lasted until September 2004 when the movie house closed for the last time. Fortunately, that same year, the Victory Gardens Theater Company purchased the Biograph. The interior of the building was entirely rebuilt as part of an $11.8 million renovation, creating a state-of-the-art 299-seat main stage. Renamed Victory Gardens Biograph Theater, it reopened in 2006. In 2009, the second phase of renovation saw the completion of a new, intimate 109-seat theater on the second floor. Across the street from the Biograph was the Three Penny Cinema. Actually, this cinema started its life two years before the Biograph as a Nickelodeon called the Lincoln Theater. From 1914 to 1916, it was called Fullerton Theater and then was converted into a machine shop slash garage. It reopened as a cinema in the late 1930s as the Crest Theater. On May 29, 1968, it was renamed Three Penny Cinema. Now, while the Biograph showed first-run big-box office films, I remember seeing Ghost there, uh, the Three Penny showed foreign, art house, and revival films. 
In June of 2006, city officials issued three-penny owner Jim Burroughs a cease and desist order for operating without a license. Burroughs owed a sizable amount of amusement taxes to the city of Chicago. And with that, the old theater went dark, the second on that stretch of Lincoln Avenue in two years. Three years later, a completely renovated building at 2424 North Lincoln opened as a live music venue called Lincoln Hall. Contrary to what many think, movie making in America did not start in Hollywood. It started right here in Chicago. One of the earliest film studios in Chicago was SNA Studios, which was based in the uptown neighborhood at 1345 West Argyle. Now, SNA had a brief run from roughly 1907 to 1917, but during that time cranked out more than 2,000 shorts and full length films and succeeded in luring a young Charlie Chaplin away from Keystone Films. Regarding Chicago, in a January 1915 newspaper column titled Charles Chaplin, a modest violet scared to death of publicity, Chaplin told the movie reviewer for the Tribune, quote, I think I'm going to like it here. Nice people, nice studio, etc. With conditions favorable, a man can do so much better work, you know, end quote. After filming his well-regarded movie, His New Job, Chaplin bailed on Chicago after 23 days, famously telling the Los Angeles Times about Chicago, it's too damn cold. The building on Argyle went on to house film and television studios, although those productions leaned mainly on the less glamorous independent industrial films and local access TV. The former SNA Studios building eventually became part of St. Augustine College. Back in 2016, the Obscura Society of Illinois offered a 100th anniversary screening of Sherlock Holmes, the first American film version featuring Arthur Conan Doyle's Sleuth. Starring William Gillette, Sherlock Holmes had been filmed on a production stage at the Argyle Street address 100 years before. The film was thought lost, but rediscovered in a vault in France in 2014 and restored, much to the delight of me and other Chicago film nerds. I thought this event would be so cool, I brought along my youngest, who was all of seven at the time. This wide-eyed young lad sat engrossed as musicians played a score to the silent film that clocked in at over two hours. In October of 2016, Chaplin's daughter, Geraldine, was in Chicago serving as president of that year's main competition jury at the Chicago International Film Festival. On the third day of the festival, then 72-year-old Chaplin received a Career Achievement Award and took part in a special tribute to her father and SNA Studios at the building on Argyle Street. The building at 1345 West Argyle Street was declared a Chicago landmark in 1996. The main entrance still bears the SNA name and logo just above the door, and there is an auditorium named after Charlie Chaplin. Cornelia Arts Building at 1800 West Cornelia in Chicago's Roscoe Village neighborhood has an interesting story. It was built in 1910 as an ice block manufacturing company. 
This section of the building on the south side at Ravenswood was once stables, as back in the day ice was delivered to city residents by horse-drawn wagons. By the 1920s, the Certified Ice Cream Company also operated in the 1800 West Cornelia Building. Slightly off-topic, the Certified Ice Cream Company experienced not just one, but two gun-related deaths at this location within about five years of each other in the 1920s. In October of 1924, Frank Manthe, chief engineer for the ice cream company, was standing outside the building talking with two other employees when a police car rolled up on them. It seems the police were keeping an eye on the building due to recent attempted burglaries. When the police got out of their vehicle with guns drawn, Manthe reportedly panicked at the sight of the pistols and took off running. Police commanded he stop, and when he didn't, they shot him. This was back at a time when this was an accepted practice long before police were expected to run criminals down on foot. A little more than five years later, a 24-year-old man named John Kinsella Jr., a clerk with the Certified Ice Cream Company, was found slumped over his desk with a bullet wound to his right temple and a revolver on the floor next to him. While his girlfriend of a year said that he had been, quote, moody for several days, end quote, Kinsella's father said his son had no reason to take his own life. The death was later ruled accidental as Kinsella, his brother William, and some of the employees had been shooting on a pistol target range in the plant earlier that day, and Kinsella had likely shot himself while cleaning his gun. Mm -hmm. The building was home to the Wallace Tube Company, a pipe bending operation in the 1940s and 1950s. Somewhere between that time and the 1970s, it became a clay factory and a major supplier for nearby Lill Street Studios. According to the Cornelia Arts Building website, the building also manufactured airplane parts and was converted to artist loft spaces in 1986. In 1987, the first neighborhood art walk was held near here, and in 1988, Friends of the Arts, a not-for-profit arts support group specializing in emerging art and artists, was established and located in the Cornelia Arts Building. One of my favorite repurposed buildings takes us back to Wicker Park, where you can find a Walgreens that used to be a bank. The Knoll State Bank was completed in 1920. You can still see the original name and date at the top of the building. Unfortunately, the Knoll State Bank was hit hard by the Great Depression and closed in 1931. It sat vacant for more than 10 years before being bought by Fairfield Savings and Loan. The last financial institution in the space was Midwest Bank, which shuttered in 2005. Drugstore chain Walgreens took over the space in 2012 and did a bonkers renovation. This 15,000 square feet space is split between two stories and includes an escalator. Possibly the coolest thing is their use of the old vault. Safety deposit boxes and all now configured as the vitamin vault. Those buildings Chicagoans pass every day, there is a crazy amount of history behind those walls. History that changes all the time.
for listening to today's episode about repurposed buildings of Chicago. This episode was researched, written, recorded, and edited by me, Tommy Henry. If you want to help out the podcast, please like, rate, and review the podcast and tell a friend. It helps us get the word out to fans of Chicago history. There are links to books and other items related to Chicago's amazing past in the show's notes. If you or someone you know is a history nerd like me, would like to learn more. Anything ordered through those links, not just the items listed, may earn a small commission for the podcast and help offset production costs at no additional cost to you. Check out the Chicago History Podcast Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages for articles and pictures related to this episode and past episodes posted throughout the week. The original art for the Chicago History Podcast used on the social media pages was created by John K. Schneider. Thanks, JKS. He can be found at AngelEyesArtJKS on Instagram or via email at AngelEyesArtJKS at gmail.com. I will be back soon with more stories from Chicago's history. Until then, get out and explore when possible. Learn more about whatever city you live in and stay safe.